Yeah, it's that the meme of Star Wars Episode One, Phantom Menace. The battle droids are coronavirus. The Gungan shield wall are the walls of bong resin protecting my lungs. Are you saying that wearing a mask is akin to being a clone trooper? You're just brainwashed. Yeah, you know, because they have that filtered breathing. I'm sure that, honestly, the safest people right now during coronavirus are um, the 501st Legion, the Stormtrooper cosplayers. Oh. Who build, like, really intricate, you know, like, 3D printed and PVC costumes with, like, breathing filtration systems and, like cooling units yeah i mean and they go around and do charity stuff those people are probably just chilling in their storm trooper clone trooper yeah whatever masks. honestly like dudes that spent all that money and like had their like significant others break up with them to buy a master chief armor set or a fallout armor set or <laughs> you know furries are all chilling i actually went They're winning i went out to a march last month where somebody was there with like uh, inflatable dinosaur suit one of those like plastic like party city dinosaur costumes where it, like has the fan on it and it blows mm-hmm. and they were giving out hand sanitizer and an hour later oh, wow. i saw some people who their wedding pictures got interrupted by the people walking by classic yeah and they still got pictures but i i probably would if i was unaware just to document the moment you know we we're talking a little bit about star wars and i realized last time because when we started the last episode we were talking about pretty serious things mm-hmm. I didn't mention my new bong because the last time that we had recorded before that, I didn't have a bong yeah, because I had broken the bong. I think you talked about that on That I had just gotten. Yeah. Said these things on Twitter. People on Twitter have seen this stuff. But I have this. Unfortunately, the viewers at home can't see. But I have this Trailer Park Boys bong with the Yoda bowl. The very deep Yoda bowl. It's a bad, bad influence. Mm-hmm. You know, dube or dube not. There is there no... is only toke. There is no, no. Uh, I'm gonna give up on it and just introduce the podcast. Welcome everybody. There's, there is o- there is no not frying your lungs. There you go. But let's get it started. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Hotbox Cinemas. The 
podcast. I don't know with the you know the moving image theory, the highest theory around, the loudest theory in the room. Yeah, speaking of Travis Scott, it's another uh, episode about battle royales. Highest in the room. We just can't stop playing them. We've been playing a lot of Fortnite recently. Yeah. So we, I mean, we had a, an episode last time about battle royale movies, most dangerous game, and and maybe ways that idea kind of crops up in other forms of literature. Uh, this time we actually wanted to talk about the the battle royale game genre that is straight up most of the way that people know it and talk about it today. But yeah, absolutely, the straight dope. We talked a lot about movies last time, but there was one movie that we didn't really talk about because we hadn't really watched it yet, which is literally the movie battle royale Mm. which may or may not kind of supply this genre with its name and a lot of the tropes and so we sat down with that movie and it took us both two attempts to watch it because we were just tired the first time but you know gamers don't die they respawn you know exactly but it took two two drops to get the w with this movie and it's uh i don't know i i it is last time i think on the last episode i described it as kind of an imdb cult classic yeah totally i mean most of the way i encountered it for the longest time was like when i was like on film tumblr and stuff you know real cult status right and people are like oh it's so violent it's so disturbing yeah or also the way that i heard about it was like when hunger games the hunger games movie first came out i remember hearing people say like oh the hunger games rips off this japanese movie battle yeah. royale like you should watch that it's the real deal because these american movies they're they're not going to show you the blood that battle royale will yeah totally and also i mean it, it coming out in the year 2000 i feel like geared it and created a situation where it was very easily spreadable and like you know film communities on the internet is that kind of like shifted toward things like imdb um and like rotten tomatoes and stuff like that but also still kind of gave it this like on the ground cult status of like the dude at your video store you know talking about it totally i mean i do think it was one of the more i mean it did kind of benefit from that wave in the early 2000s of like uh, East Asian action movies and East Asian cinema that was really popular in the U.S. You know, like people who watched Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and then kind of wanted to keep going. But I also, I don't know this for sure, but I do imagine that it was a movie that was probably like really benefited from piracy and um, was probably downloaded and torrented a lot in, in kind of early internet days. Like it just has that kind of energy about it. And so yeah. that's why it makes sense that it would be like a sort of influence potentially to a lot of gamers or game designers yeah and also i mean the other thing is that this does kind of also fit in the um like modern legible action canon of things like john wick and stuff like that obviously Mm -hmm. this came out far before that and was probably an influence in some way on on the people who made john wick but movies like that are pretty influential on like game designers just because of of the way they you know portray action whether through like animation camera shake um body performance and things and when i mention like a mm-hmm. kind of like legible action i mean like full body motion capture um since that's often how like video games present right. action as well well there's just a lot of details in this movie that feel like almost in of in and of themselves 
uh, influenced by video games. You know, like I think this is a movie that's very much about like teens at the turn of the millennium, this like rebellious new generation. And so I'm sure that it's even though the director at the time, he was like super old and he died only a couple years later uh, while doing the second battle royale. You know, it is kind of like a youth culture movie. Like I remember in high school when we were learning how to write essays and things like that one of my teachers said that sometimes like whenever you lay out an issue and lay out pros and cons on something to decide which side you agree with sometimes it's easier to write a essay that is from the other perspective Mm -hmm. because you have these like different viewpoints on or you may have these really strong viewpoints as to why it's bad but then finding a way to understand why it's you know maybe a good way to do it i mean obviously once you apply this to like actual like real world arguments and stuff that's not just like high school essays it's probably not that great to play devil's advocate um but i mean that for an old director to make a movie like this yeah. is kind of funny no it is it is pretty crazy because i mean people do talk about like you know late style or like a, like directors late periods when they just, you know stop giving a fuck and they make movies that are really serious and are about death or grief or whatever but this is like a totally different version of like late style it's just like now this director who'd been working in the Japanese industry for years, now we've reached this point where like censorship is sort of relaxed and and you can have extreme violence. So he's just like, fuck it. Let's just like go totally R15 mode um, as the rating is labeled in Japan. Uh, but as I was saying, like there's a lot of this movie that feels influenced by video games, but also sort of lends itself to video games like... Um, all the kids and, you know, because the basic premise is you have this class of middle schoolers who are, uh, because of this law that like is not really, I mean, they give a general reason why there's this law is in effect and it's because adults want to like punish kids, but it's just like, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense at all. There's no, no logic to the movie really. Uh, so, but it's just these middle schoolers killing each other or early high schoolers, I guess. Just the way to, to whittle down the population of children that'll never respect adults is to make them all disrespect each other kill each other yeah yeah exactly so they're all given like items you know like in a very video game way like they're each given a weapon and some of them are given like pots and like a pot lid and like binoculars and totally useless things others are given tasers and sickles and some are given straight up machine guns and that is just like such a video game trope but also it's interesting because I mean, as we talked about in the last episode, in Battle Royales, there's a lot of things that aren't guns that are also weaponized in the game, like awareness of where other people are or, you know, security within a building or something like that. Um, And people in this movie are also given things like there's like a GPS to see where people are in location to you. And some people have like poison powder and things like that. Uh, But there's a lot of different items that people are given that aren't always guns that do have their advantages and disadvantages. But yeah, I mean, the movie goes on and I mean, honestly, the first like hour or so I was watching, I was like, I mean, probably just because I've, I mean, the effect of like consuming something that has been so absorbed by like a lot of things that you take in, like watching this as someone who, I mean, has played Battle Royale games a little bit for the last couple of years that that they've kind of been widespread made it where the first hour i was like i need to just stop this uh movie i need to take a break uh but i mean the thing that honestly kept me going through the whole thing was uh takeshi katano pretty stellar in the movie yeah i mean he just has like such a great 
screen presence in general and like is so he's so commanding icy and but he's so sad too yeah he's definitely believable both as like somebody who's like an ice cold killer but also like equally believable as somebody who's like pathetic and disrespected by his children (laughs) yeah i mean most of actually the explanation for why these children are going on this island and fighting is you have this moment where he's actually teaching this class of children that eventually get selected to kill each other and like one of them like just cuts his leg open mm-hmm. and like that's the the whole thing but yeah his whole like commanding versus very sad and empty kind of thing is totally demonstrated when he's yeah. just wearing this tracksuit around like half zipped up he's just walking around like dude in a tracksuit just shooting children yeah i mean he totally has that like classic like you know he plays he played so many yakuza roles and he's like still basically doing that like throughout this movie even though it's a different milieu i also thought that uh another kind of element that is like super uh echoed in battle royale games is that like every all of the kids are forced to wear these collars and if they're in these like danger areas, the collars start beeping. And if they don't get out of the area in time, then the collar will like explode and like cut their neck open. And that's like so analogous to the like gas circle that forces you in and forces you into combat. That's definitely like the best way that like the game format uh, gets demonstrated here is just the way that uh, I mean, the collars and the dangerous zones uh, use like the landscape and use like the threat of death to like manufacture combat interactions that are you know for because of all these other things that are happening um are kind of unexpected and unique but that's that's the main draw of battle royale games and that's kind of what makes the movie i think is like the thing that people learned the most from it when they started looking to video games as a way to realize it it's just that way of like controlling landscape and making landscape like evil not trustworthy yeah exactly because like that's like there is an element of this movie that doesn't really sort of map over as much to Battle Royale games, which is this sort of like deceptive elements where some of the characters are helping each other. But of course, like there's supposed to be only one winner. So it gets down to this point where like people inevitably have to kill each other and turn on each other. And they're like, oh, like you shouldn't have trusted me. You know, you, uh, like uh, you fell into my trap, which like doesn't, you know, at least in like when you're playing with a team in Fortnite or Warzone, like you're not, it's not, you're not going to turn against each other, but it does have that sort of like element that carries over that you're saying of like weaponization of the landscape where just like everything is turned against you and you have to just be constantly alert to every part of every element of the environment around you, you know, like every sound, every spot on the, uh, on the horizon, um every possible point on the map is like a point of potential danger um and i think that's what maps over is like that not being able to trust the landscape yeah one last thing i would probably Mm -hmm. say or maybe two last things i'd probably say are interesting to watch in in a movie when they're more like normal concepts now are i mean obviously there's a kill feed in the movie Mm -hmm. where you have like text messages whenever people die and say how many people are left i mean it gives these kind of like hud elements that translate to an actual video game like image that is just presenting information so someone can read the Mm -hmm. situation and then 
the way that like different people are characterized in the movie yeah. is interesting in terms of you know getting flashbacks and getting these moments of interiority which of course i mean as we've already talked about is the thing that makes battle royales interesting and special is just the unknowability of of the person that you're looking at and the way that a video game character or an npc mm-hmm. which is you know the popular term <laughs> now for other things outside of video games but i mean seeing someone just knowing behind their eyes or within their head there is just pure geometry damn yeah and and there's like programmed action programmed thought things like Mm -hmm. that i mean obviously in the movie that's filled that's filled with kind of like teenage romance and melodrama so i guess we should get into some of the other influences of uh the battle royale genre i think beyond cinema um it is uh such a like hybrid genre of different game elements i think yeah totally i mean within multiplayer games obviously there have been like player versus player competition for a long time uh but also i mean the big thing is kind of the the connections of other players and Mm -hmm. and obviously i mean with multiplayer gaming just like having other people and authentic choice and all these other kind of I guess just like human unknowable elements being things that influence the the design of the game, at least as you experience it and you have to navigate it. And that goes back for for a very long time to things like, you know, mucks mm-hmm. and muds, you know, multi-user dungeons, multi-user character kingdoms being these, you know, just essentially text log uh, multiplayer games over dial-up internet. There's actually like one of the key moments for like games journalism and a lot of like cyborg writing and understanding in the 90s was uh the writing of julian dibble who used to write for like the village voice uh and in the 90s he wrote this article called a rape in cyberspace which is about yeah it's a pretty intense title for like a an article written in the 90s by a dude for the village voice um it's a article that chronicles what happened in a moo called lambda moo a moo is just a multi-user dungeon but it's object oriented and essentially what happened is that somebody manipulated another character's avatar to what it calls a cyber rape and how the town regulates itself afterward and how the community like controls these things so it's this article that is you know definitely an artifact of that time but is one that helped people's like understanding of like digital dualism but also um, you know, representation and connection mm-hmm. between all these things. Um, and then also, I mean, you have things like MMORPGs, just, you know, massive user networks yeah, and user communities yeah. where there are economies that are gameable um, and there are lives that are lived out through it and stories that are told. Obviously, when you mention economies, there's like World of Warcraft gold farming is kind of the, the thing yeah, that comes to mind. Right, right, absolutely. And Julian Dibble also wrote a book called Play Money, which is just chronicling a year of his life, quitting his job and living off of gold farming. Oh my god. The Battle Royale uh, model, obviously, it does take from MMOs, but it is this like distilled um, interaction where the only way to interact with other people is through combat and uh and i mean obviously like that's like been a thing for a long time but just i don't know making it like i guess limiting the respawn ability is maybe what makes it different like what makes it more kind of analogous to an mmo where you're sort of like living out a life 
you know, like you have this sort of finality and awareness of mortality in the battle royale genre that makes it like about even if you're you don't have a relation like this long extended relationship to your avatar in the way you do in an mmo it still makes it more like a human life almost in the way that you're playing yeah it's definitely like i in my opinion it's like a matter of scale where a battle royale you'll play and you could be done in 10 minutes 20 minutes but an mmo is something where it's not divided up over matches Mm -hmm. i mean obviously there's raids there are like direct competitive matches in something like world of warcraft like everquest but with those it is much more about the depth of the simulation um which obviously i mean you look at one of those games and the screen is dominated by all these like hot keys and spells and things and there's this text log and there's all these things where of course it doesn't look like real life but in terms of the depth of things that it's simulating that's usually more of what what Mm -hmm. attracts people or what is praised in those where instead of you know photographically approaching reality it's maybe doing it more systemically Mm -hmm. i think that there's also that in the emphasis you know we were talking a lot about landscape in sort of making notes for this one thing that you pointed out that i think is really interesting is how the battle royale genre sort of sutures a classic kind of multiplayer online game onto like the open world format just in that like the kind of the real emphasis on like the map and exploring the map and having it unfold before you and learning that landscape yeah well i mean that comes from i think maybe more of like the single player perspective of the influences on on the battle royale because in like the whole i mean for a long time video games have or at least like 3d video games have been about I don't know, it's a bit of a joke where people are like, oh, well, you see that mountain back there in the background of this whole scene. You can go there, you can climb that mountain, you can explore this whole thing. And I mean, for a long time, just as long as like, you know, improved graphics have been like a marketing point, people have talked about, you know, being able to go anywhere you want and explore it. And that usually being the end of their sales pitch. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the whole last generation of consoles, you saw this shift uh, where there had been open games for a while, but new consoles were making a lot of open world games where you know you walk around you can go anywhere in the world you're roaming navigating everything but all the open worlds were mostly post-apocalyptic mostly filled with zombies mostly (laughs) empty just because that's something that is a lot easier to convey believably than it is to convey like oh there's all these people here and they all their own life and they all don't look like they're robots that are you know being just script running on a computer and that's how they're moving and stuff and also i mean with like post-apocalyptic landscapes it's easy just to you know rather than having a bunch of like flowers and grass waving in the wind it's easier just to have something that's been nuked out and there's like no wildlife or anything like that that's actually like livable there yeah i mean this is something people have pointed out going back to like bioshock with like the splicers i mean this is a a little off topic but it reminds me of like how in batman versus superman um at the end when lex Luthor is sort of goading batman and superman into fighting each other and then they fight doomsday or whatever the big beast's name is and they explicitly say like oh 
like this area has been like under construction so everybody's been evacuated so nobody's here so nobody's like dying which feels like this obvious uh sort of response to man of steel being really criticized for having all of these people just die like millions and millions of people just die in the rubble basically all the side characters they follow are in their own buildings yeah yeah and even but i even noticed that the same thing happens in Zack snyder's sucker punch which i watched recently where there's this action sequence like the world war one steampunk mecha action sequence where like scott glenn plays this npc who like gives advice and tips to these girls before they go into battle and he explicitly says like don't worry about killing these dudes because they're just like robots they're just steam powered soldiers so don't feel bad about killing them and it feels like the same thing that the post-apocalyptic landscape of a lot of video games does where it's like oh it i mean it obviously it implies violence and like it's not really any better maybe but it's just like oh this landscape is already empty it's sort of always already destroyed always already apocalyptic like in warzone i mean you're just like walking around and it's just this perpetual battlefield where things are a lot of things are under construction or in a state of disrepair or have been clearly abandoned or fled or like there are body bags and hospital tents and um, or there's just like but there's also weird surreal details like the phone endlessly ringing off the hook or things like that and then obviously in Fortnite, you can just destroy everything you know everything is is destructible it's like the the ultimate dream of so much of video gaming is like you know because for so long i feel like it was always like oh you can't you can destroy some things you know, some objects but not others and that always is what like breaks the simulation for some people is not being able to destroy everything. So now in Fortnite, it's like, it is a total cartoonish, unreal fantasy, but you can also break everything and everything can bend to your will. Yeah. I mean, I feel like with what you're talking about with like simulation boundaries, something that is just comes to mind is like in the Splinter Cell games, I think the later ones or not the later ones, but like maybe the second or third one in that original trilogy, mm-hmm. like the, I mean, it's all about stealth and, like, these, like, smart interactions with the environment and stuff. But, like, using your knife to cut down the wall of, like, a temporary military tent to get in yeah, uh, only works on, like, certain patches of this plastic sheet and not on every patch. But also, I mean, you'll see... I mean, this is just, like, with multiplayer maps in general. Uh, just kind of, you know, just getting repurposed over and over again. All the objects being, like, non-interactive. Mm-hmm. Um just kind of like barriers to the course and everything like that. But I mean, you have games like Fortnite, now Call of Duty Warzone, where they take this kind of massive map and start doing like large scale storytelling on it. Um, And things like, oh, in Fortnite, there's going to be this big event where, you know, a missile cracks this glass dome that's over everything. Or, you know, the map gets like sucked up in a black hole and it's the end of like the end of Fortnite or whatever. And then it just introduces like, you know, chapter two or season two or whatever they call it. But also, I mean, you have games like Apex Legends, uh, which is the battle royale from Respawn, where they have like a second map they've made. Some battle royales will like kind of like play around with the idea of just this having this island 
just for straight murder and that's it yeah it's like it, i mean it's the same thing they do the same thing in in the battle royale movie where they're like oh here's this uninhabited island we've evacuated everyone and it's just been repurposed for murder and it's just like damn i want to know the story of like all the people who used to be here before it was colonized and turned into this killing field yeah what was like the budget hearing like whenever you know the governing body decided to buy this land what was the purpose for the land whenever they said they were going to get it i mean that stuff's always interesting to me but again these are video games in a movie where it's not actually you know that's usually not part of it yeah i mean it's the same thing as like the purge movies where it's like when you really start poking at the this legal universe it's created it's it's like this what really do people this law really like what's the what's the bill look like there like what's the le- the legalese yeah. going on there in the purge bill which i'd say like one of my favorite movies in terms of like getting at some of like the i guess like legal underpinnings of like what happens in these types of situations is hideke ano's shin godzilla which is this movie that is just about a kaiju coming in attacking and what a bureaucratic response looks like when i mean it even comes to the fore in moments where you have like interns mm-hmm. looking through these bills for like things that would allow the government to respond to this type of like force majeure and you even have like the letter of the law literally mm-hmm. appearing and covering the entire screen and entrapping the interns within the image and things like that but i mean we're talking about open world games and i mean a lot of time when people say that it means that they're as i said earlier it's this open landscape that you can walk around on and allegedly you know go anywhere yeah but with open world games i have a hard time at least i mean now looking back at the way this has kind of been made for the last decade or two looking at the way that like i don't i mean it's hard for me to see something like you know far cry 2 and and further than that grand theft auto yeah, 4 or like just um, cause you know, skyrim also yeah breath of the wild things like this like and i i have a hard time with like or at least for me there's like a difference between like open world and maybe like open possibility just because yeah. all these like open world games um to me i mean things like skyrim if we're talking about like shin godzilla being this thing about navigating like bills and bureaucracy and all these things like bethesda rpg games are mostly just done through menu navigation of you just like having to go through and select you know this item that has the better damage same with mmos which makes it bizarre to me they made like a vr version of skyrim where most of the game is just going through all these like text menus and stuff but i mean all these games like to me in terms of like open world i know that's like describing a mode of navigation but I feel like the mode of possibility is kind of very similar to, to other just like single player games. Mm-hmm. I don't know. To me, like the promise of freedom that these things are marketed on is usually pretty fucking flat. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not a bad like it's a game that I love, but it is a game that like I think shows the sort of walls. Well, is something like Journey where it really does. It, it looks like an open world. But it's also so clearly directing you and the camera so clearly points you in certain ways and like limits your field of vision. So you have the sort of real feeling of expansiveness and that you could conceivably travel through this landscape. But there's also it's sort of well balanced, I think, with giving that illusion of that feeling that you want with an open world game but also really actually not being an open world game um and so i think that it is sort of 
frank about its limits but yeah i i mean i totally feel like that's the thing about um open world games is usually it's just more at a certain point it's like having more channels on your television where you're just reduced to this act of of mindless browsing a little bit with the sort of menu-based games you're talking about, like Skyrim, or sort of, you know, I think with MMOs or, or RPGs, it's sometimes like that. I mean, a lot of, like, even looking back at, like, Japanese RPGs, there's a lot of just, like, numbers going up, which also is found in, like, MMOs yeah. and things like that, of finding the better item, the better damage. Yeah, really, it's like, I mean, really, a lot of open-world gaming, I feel like, is just kind of, like, text, like, tabletop stats stuff yeah well i mean that's the world that like crpgs computer rpgs came from is just making single player dungeons and dragons that is you know you roll your die and enter in the values or you have like a random number generator that does it and then you just enter in text of like attack defend you know things like that i guess you know we've we've talked about the sort of predecessors to battle royale games maybe we should chart out the actual history of the genre perhaps one thing i wanted to say before we pivoted away to this though you brought up journey which i think is a really interesting thing to bring up when we're talking about like camera and things like that because actually i did just watch a or i didn't i found uh this like talk that gdc that the camera designer for journey did about like game cameras and things like that and in it he talks about the camera being and basically an ai cinematographer so the camera designer and how he describes his role as someone who writes code to like say whenever you know a pillar is about to interrupt the camera view do you zoom in really close because i mean that creates a form of cut do you like swipe to the side and create this other form of cut yeah Uh, but also i mean the other main thing that kind of stuck with me um, i was talking to someone on twitter about this the other day was essentially saying that like game cameras are only ever noticed when they do a bad job these things that people like you know you can go on youtube and find so many like compilations of glitches with the camera and people just going like oh what is this camera and freaking out at stuff like that but also i mean that to me is something that kind of mirrors like the invisible style of like the golden age hollywood absolutely just very i mean i feel like that's why i sometimes prize glitches and like glitch art from video games because it's like the closest analog that gaming can have to some kind of like Byzantian realism or some kind of like, or some kind of just like capacity for mistakes, you know, like there is, there is that way when you're talking about a a video game camera is only noticed when it's like breaking down or like do or failing um, or doing a bad job. I think sometimes it's like, that's almost a good thing because it's like, that is the medium peeking through a little bit and you have because of increased layers of production with gaming versus filmmaking um you have the ability sometimes in film for reality to just like shatter through a a little bit more immediately than you do in gaming and so that's sometimes why i think that like the camera failing or like fucking up or or glitching is like sometimes a good thing because it just reminds you of the volatility 
of the medium, which then reminds you of like the human labor that goes into it and um, the sort of limits of that, which is another thing just like that I kind of like about battle royale games because you have this capacity for sort of open possibility, like you were saying, as opposed to open world, you do have like a lot of human uh, unique behavior that peeks through. Like, you know, you don't, get to know people or get a sense of them but just people can do a lot of different things there are a lot of different ways to manipulate interact and weaponize the environment like we were saying and so i think that's like sometimes a battle royale game functions almost like a glitchy camera a little bit where just like something really unexpected happens um uh, you know, like in Call of Duty, like, you know, you throw like C4 at a helicopter or something like that and it explodes and it's like, so I don't know. So I just think that's something that's just like that, that humanity, like poking through is something that I uh, am, am interested in. Yeah. And I mean, there are plenty of ways that that happens in, I mean, single player games in general i mean there's like i don't know if you'd call it a documentary note or something like that but there are these like of course there are like fourth wall breaks in a lot of video games because they're at times like you know kind of childish and will lean on something like that not that a fourth wall break at all is always childish but there's moments like in the path of neo when it's this game that tells the story of the the matrix trilogy through the perspective Mm -hmm. of neo and then before i mean at the ending in matrix revolutions obviously you know neo commits this like self-sacrifice to save everyone and it's this you know kind of moment of redemption Mm -hmm. but in the game whenever you get to this final fight with neo and agent smith the game after you fight him for a little while up to the point of it happening in the movie then the screen goes white and two chairs appear on screen and the wachowskis come out and sit in the chairs and talk about how neo and agent smith are doing this thing and they realize that the video game like version of that ending that happens in the movie wouldn't be as entertaining if they just adapted it straight so they decided to change the ending to make it more fun as a video game so then they make it where you essentially fight this like mega agent smith made of a bunch of little ones as neo and and they leave the screen or i played this other game uh recently called the frog detective it's just like this single player first person like kind of comedy game where you're walking around and everything and at one point like the director of the game comes out because these characters are just like talking about how like books can't be believed or something like that or they're just like dumb and a model of the director comes out to say like you should absolutely believe what you read in books but check your sources or something like that but I think there's, like, interesting, like, documentary notes and, like, you know, notes of the actual, like, people producing it that can come out in games. But, of course, it's a very rare exception. Yeah. Um, but I think Journey, again, is another great bridge of these two ideas because Journey is also this game where you not only have this, like, experience that feels incredibly open, but is really this game that is all about kind of manipulating your urges and sights and guiding you towards certain objectives and things um, all through kind of camera focus. Uh, but also it's this game that a lot of people when they first played it thought was single player without realizing yeah. there was a real person playing with them the whole time. Because you have this kind of anonymous multiplayer that will seamlessly match you into a game with someone. And the only verb you have to interact with people is kind of like chirping to recharge each other's like jumping ability and flying ability. Um, 
but an inverse to that is something like battle royales where the only verbs you have for people that you're not on a team with is you know harming them yeah or just kind of letting them pass you by to avoid the confrontation you know another kind of movie a battle royale that i didn't think to mention on the last episode just real quickly uh both versions of elephant the alan clark and gus van sant movies the gus van sant movie is about a school columbine columbine like school shooting um and it actually has a gaming sequence in it that is kind of a proto battle royale game because it's just this like desert landscape where you're just killing people and that's it and there's nothing else yeah. to do um but the alan clark one even more so i think is a kind of a battle royale um and it's about the troubles in ireland but it's just a series of incidents of killings and you never get any context for the killings they're just these like discrete incidents where somebody just like enters a room and then like shoots someone and then leaves or like someone is following someone on a trail and then they shoot them and then walk away. Um, and so it's just like depicting this world where like interaction has been reduced completely to violence. And that's just kind of like the experience of battle Royale beyond working together with your teammates. It's like, that is what the world is, except for in Fortnite where you're also building, I guess, where you have that element, yeah. the Minecraft side of it. True. But also like with Fortnite, most of the building is creating kind of this like architecture for you to survive and for other people to die. Yeah. Whether that's like knocking somebody down and like trapping them in this box or something like that so they can't escape and get healed by their teammates. Yeah, it is kind of horrific sometimes, like as we've been playing a little bit more, we're all be shot down by someone and be dying and they won't kill me immediately they'll just like build a metal box around us and then they'll like execute me inside of it and i'm just like damn this was just a, a second ago like a fisher price toy you know this just like plastic children's game and then it just became a like horror show for real yeah it's so weird it does kind of like allow a certain capacity i think like for brutality like um in a way that other games don't just because like there's that element of choice like i don't know it, it, like just having that ability to like you just sort of kind of leaving someone there to die and it's like it is an actual other person it's not just an npc um and so they're just in this process of dying and you're just sort of like taunting them or like slowly killing them and it's uh it's a little intense or like using their status as someone who's knocked down as a way of like baiting a teammate or something like that yeah exactly um but also, one quick note about the use of video games and Elephant. That movie, I mean, <laughs> just real quick, since Columbine is something when people talk about violent video yeah, games. Uh, yeah, for sure. Columbine was used as this thing to say, oh, well, the killers played Doom. And so they, you know, the violent imagery of killing demons is this thing that kind of, you know, made them, you know, extra violent. Even though one of the level designers on doom was actually a Mormon and someone who thought that killing mm -hmm. demons like was something that not only he didn't have trouble with, but was something that he thought was, you know, a game worth making. Um, but also doom was a game used by the Columbine shooters because it had the most intensive map editor they could find. So uh -huh. rather than it being this like killing training software, it was actually an architecture, 
an architecture simulation for them to plan routes and things like that. So it wasn't as much something Damn. about, you know, violent imagery infecting the minds of our youth, like yeah. Pokemon and stuff. But also with something like, I mean, when we talk about the verbs of the Battle Royale being, you know, just only violence, only this thing that just turns people against each other. Uh, but also, I mean, there are these moments of really incredible, like, surprises and moments of being taken aback mm-hmm. by the way that people use those. Um, I mean, with Journey, it's this thing where people, whenever they finished it, when it first came out, some people were like, this is, you know, one of the most, like, amazing experiences I've had with another person on the internet. I mean, obviously, this is a very manufactured experience, but because yeah. you're only given one verb or two to really, like, interact with that other person um and to communicate with them so it's this thing where you have this very restored you know faith in humanity but you don't actually get to talk to the person and if you think about the communications that you have with people over the internet that are just randomly matched up most of the time they're they don't they aren't described as like restoring someone's faith in humanity yeah i mean i think it's the fact for the very fact that it the game mutes you is why it's so wholesome and like so affirming because Lord knows if you could speak in journey, there's a good likelihood you would be with someone who you would find unfavorable um, because that's so much the experience of multiplayer gaming. Yeah. I mean, with a lot of people not even realizing they had a multiplayer partner until the end of the game when it shows in the end credits, like this is someone that is credited with creating your experience. These are the people you're matched up with. A lot of times then you do have like gamer tag type yeah. names pop up there and you're reminded, oh, I'm playing with someone who owns a PlayStation 3 or I guess now, you know, PlayStation 4 and now it's on PC. So... But also, like, the games by that game company, the studio that made Journey and Flower and Flow and these things, um, are very invested in, like, the philosophy of flow Mm -hmm. being this way of, like, optimizing your experience, you know, just the the collection of experiences that you have um, being this thing that you can fine-tune. That's something like Genova Chins. Uh, thesis at USC their game design program that's what his thesis was on was like flow and game design you know it's interesting you're talking about flow experience experientiality I think that it's interesting that Fortnite has become basically like the replacement music festival in a world without them and also, I mean, of course, it's not the only sort of digital platform that's doing something like that. Um, but it is interesting how there is that, like, I don't know, I don't, I don't exactly know how to precisely talk about it, but just that kind of like vibe element of Fortnite, where it's it's so casual um, and you know, you just kind of like do a match over and over again, but it's also just this open environment and this open landscape, which is why it's perfect for like the Travis Scott concert, which you attended yeah, and like the marshmallow concerts. Um, and then of course, like, you know, we mentioned that Minecraft, obviously that Fortnite owes a lot to Minecraft and Minecraft. You've had like a, a music festival with like massive attack headlining um also the brooklyn music venue elsewhere they sort of like created a virtual 
venue in Minecraft and had like um, baths and like American football and different like indie artists and and also specifically a lot of kind of like chill wave vapor wave like internet focused artists play uh, virtually in in Minecraft so there is that kind of like vibe flow experience part of Fortnite specifically but i think it extends outward to the whole genre maybe yeah i mean another one of the minecraft festivals had charlie xcx you know ag cook yeah um 100 gex these artists that kind of only ever exist on social platforms on the internet um when i mean actually these battle royale games and Fortnite and things like that are social platforms primarily if we're talking about like flow and kind of just this yeah easy experience of going in going it's a out. place to hang out with your friends exactly yeah i mean they're places to hang out i think <coughs> on an insert credit podcast recently tim rogers called Fortnite basically a halloween like costume party game where it is just you and your friends hanging yeah, out in your costumes doing your dances yeah i mean it's basically like uh i'm reminded of this tweet i saw at the, like the beginning of quarantine, um, I think a screenshots of a Facebook post from this mom who had like a uh, like a ten year old son who played Fortnite a lot, and I guess like just you know him being home all the time, um, he was sort of a lonely kid, didn't have a lot of friends to begin with, so he was just sort of like playing games all the time and um it was like his birthday or something and he was up playing Fortnite, and he met this like group of like 16 year olds um or no actually no i'm getting this story mixed up it was not it was not the mother of this little kid it was the mother of one of these 16 year old this there was just like this mom whose 16 year old son was playing Fortnite with his friends and they were I'm just I'm just starting the story over yeah, because we can cut I realized this, yeah. I was mistelling it. Um but essentially so like the mom of this teen, basically the group of teens, I guess they all sort of had aged out of Fortnite. Like they had played it when it had first started, but then they'd gotten to a point where they were a little bit older. They were like, this is a game for kids. You know, we'd rather play Apex Legends or Call of Duty or something, you know, more mature or whatever. Real guns, an FPS. But yeah, basically. uh, But they kind of had gone back to Fortnite uh, as quarantine had gone on because they were just like, let's get goofy. Like, you know, let's mix it up. We're bored. You know, we'll just do anything. So they started playing Fortnite and they encountered this like 10 year old kid and um they realized the kid like you know he didn't have any friends really he didn't have anybody he was playing with they sort of got along they were chatting with him and they were like well you know like you can hang out with us like you can join our squad and we'll just play tonight and um they were sort of talking to the kid and you know found out that he just you know he'd been home alone a lot um like he just didn't have he wasn't you know obviously wasn't at school in person didn't have friends yeah and then they found out it was like his birthday and he was like turning 11 and so they, they were give like, him some v bucks they were like just hanging out with him they made him like stay up until midnight and play Fortnite until midnight and so then the like 16 year old kid like tells his mom this and she like cries and she's like you're such a sweet kid and i'm such a good mom uh anyways i spent entirely too long that's really funny the story but 
it is basically just like hanging out. You know, it's just kids hanging out, vibing after school, um, getting online. Yeah, and getting that dub. Exactly. And so much of it is in like the chatting, I feel like. Like, um, and just that it's like pretty, even though there is such an adrenaline rush specifically to like Warzone, but also to Fortnite, it is, it is just like, pretty low stakes yeah and i think that's part of what is it's just a chat room yeah and we've talked about it on the last episode but like the collaboration and communication possible in it is something that doesn't really factor into something like a traditional competitive multiplayer where you do have you know tagging talking about do we want to go there do we want to go here what does this mean what's the best play right now um or even you know congratulating each other on like encounters you have along the way and stuff but also it's funny in terms of like looking at maybe two ends of a scale of like battle royale players you'll have like the social platform users who have it because you know i can play it on my phone with my friend that has it on pc yeah everybody can play together um things like that but also i mean a couple years ago when fortnite was really popping off you have like fortnite coaches and parents who were investing in their children because this was i mean in the same way you invest in piano lessons because this is maybe a career path or at least an interest of theirs and something that gives like social credibility and social capital amongst their friends when they may be underperforming socially before this you know i'm very glad that like uh you know you and i uh game together with with friends and that we have a like very like casual funny like kind of affirmative group of gamers because i just yeah if i was doing this as a teen or preteen um i think that i would be pretty terrible because like that was the thing is like i just i i social pressure and anxiety kept me from becoming a really good gamer um and so that there is that, I guess, I guess maybe there is that other element where there is the flip side from the casual where it is this sort of other avenue for like social anxieties to carry over f- after school for kids. Um, yeah, totally. But also, I mean, I mean, looking back at like the history of something like Fortnite, it's also funny because so much of the the value comes from especially in this like kind of the social capital way a lot of it comes from costumes um where maybe you you can't play amazing but you paid money for this or you did something to get this skin and it's really cool and you look awesome and stuff like that i remember when a couple years ago a samsung galaxy phone was coming out a new one and part of the marketing for this phone which has since become a marketing point for a lot of phones was that it was the first cell phone to have Fortnite on it. Android phones were the first to get Fortnite because you could download directly rather than going through Apple's store and wow. stuff. Uh, but the Samsung phone was the first one with an official Fortnite release on it. And if you played and tied your Epic account to this device, you got a crazy like Galaxy Print skin. So you had a lot of really smart children going to the Verizon store or the cell phone store being like, I'm looking for a new phone. I want to be able to play Fortnite. So all the adults are trying to speak the kid language. I'm like, oh, yeah, go ahead and play some, you know? And then, <laughs> then they'd link their account and get the token for that skin to the point that you had, like, Best Buy stores saying no playing Fortnite on our phones and making, like, hard regulations oh against God. it. Yeah. That's like uh, the bit in Wayne's World where he tries to play Stairway to Heaven at the guitar store. Fortnite denied. <laughs> Victory Royale. Denied. <laughs> God. 
But you know, there is a. I have not played it, so I'm like interested to kind of hear about it. Um, but PUBG, you know, PUBG is like the real OG battle royale. Yeah, and I is it like bigger internationally? Yeah, than Fortnite. It's pretty huge. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's like a really strong, um, like East Asian and Southeast Asian like player base for PUBG. Yeah. I don't know if it's bigger than Fortnite, but it is something that is always a little bit shocking to me just cause like how little PUBG comes up in like the modern discussion of a lot of battle Royale yeah. games. It seems like a lot of people, at least in my perception, which is probably just like people on Twitter who talk about video games and do it professionally and stuff. Um, mostly are playing like Apex Legends, Fortnite, and Warzone. Um, yeah, but PUBG's a really big deal. It stands for Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Uh, Player Unknown is a modder who worked on like Daisy and made the King of the Kill mod there, which is a battle royale kind of iteration. Then he went on and made PUBG on the PC, um, which was like kind of like a mod for Arma Three really intense military simulation made it like PC exclusive. It was an early access for a long time. Um, and where Fortnite came from, it actually was like made in 2013. Uh, and it's interesting to look at some of the design influences on that. You already talked about like Minecraft, uh, but also a lot of like, as we said earlier, post-apocalyptic zombie games were big influences, um, on that because it was a crafting game. It was a game of survival and things like yeah. that. And they had it on it consoles. It does have kind of a what's up a Left for Dead quality about it. Definitely. I mean, if you go back and watch like trailers before 2016, it was all stuff like that. Uh, Epic Games really didn't know what to do with it. It was just kind of like being experimented on for a while. And actually, I mean, the physical cases for that version of Fortnite um, are crazy expensive now, just because you can't buy them. But Fortnite used to be like a physical disc game. Um, and it's like, you know, it has, a, it so has a crazy like collector value. Yeah. I remember seeing just like stacks of it at the game store. They couldn't get rid of it because nobody cared and it looks so generic and stuff back before. I mean, it was free and you could play it on everything with everybody, but yeah, I mean that game had influences from Minecraft and all those things. And now, uh, only put in the battle royale mm-hmm. when PUBG wouldn't put itself on consoles because they were trying to just, first of all, make a retail release on PC but then having to find a way to port that onto a console when it was originally a mod for a really intense PC game was just a, a real challenge. Sorry, I keep I keep cracking up because I keep thinking about the meme that was the cover art for our last episode, <laughs> which is PUBG is the number two game in the world. Relationship is still number one. Don't they understand PUBG and Battle Royales are about relationships? They really are. <laughs> Love is a player unknown's battleground. Yeah. Can love bloom on the player unknown's battleground? That's a good joke for people that wow. played Metal Gear Solid 1. Everybody's cracking up right That's now. That's deep. Yeah. But PUBG is actually also kind of interesting in a couple ways. One is the winner screen of the game. It says winner, winner, chicken dinner, which I only bring up because, first of all, that phrase originally came from Great Depression gambling because people would win chicken dinners in like back alley games of craps. Wow. I think I actually found a real quote on it. It's not just me. Sing for your supper. 
Yeah, that's not just me making this up. There's actually somebody wrote a book about the history of gambling. His name's David Guzman, and he details that history a good bit. But also, it's funny because people originally called the genre the chicken eating game mm-hmm. because of the winner winner chicken dinner tag. Uh, the other part of PUBG that I think is really interesting is that, I mean, over the last couple of years, China has become a much bigger like marketplace for movies and for games and things like that. And when PUBG was trying to make itself available in China for Chinese players, especially through PUBG Mobile, um, the government originally wouldn't let it in. Uh, A specific quote from a translated press release said that it's against our country's core socialist values and the Chinese nation's traditional cultural behaviors and moral practices, and it's bad for teenagers' physical and mental health. Yeah, it only got into China as it is now uh, through Tencent, which is... Uh, you know, the Chinese entertainment company um, that has investments in like mm-hmm. the Epic Games Store and, and now Blue Hole Games, who makes PUBG. And they made a couple core game changes to also appeal to the Chinese government. Uh, one of which is that instead of a player's dead body just kind of sitting there and in PUBG, you have like a wooden box of all their items that you can go through afterward. Uh, but their avatar sits there limp. Uh, but in this game, this version of the game, what happens is that the person whenever someone kills someone else the person they kill uh looks at them gets on their knees waves at them and then the avatar just disappears <laughs> oh wow yeah it's Pain really funny specs. yeah i that makes me wonder though do you think that battle royale games are uh anti-communist anti-socialist i mean we i've already talked about like Warzone. Uh, being this game yeah, where obviously the right. imagery of a Call of Duty game is one that is, that borders on propaganda like that and Medal of Honor getting official seals of approval yeah. from World War II veterans initially. But I mean, yeah, it's a game about individual accumulation. Um, it's a game yeah. about kind of happenstance relationships and, and advantages and disadvantages. What do you think? Damn. I mean, yeah, uh, there is there is that like teamwork component to it but it is and you know we do sometimes joke in call of duty because there's the cash element of call of duty um and money is very important especially there's that round right now there's a a game mode called stimulus trios where you can get revived if you have a certain amount of money and it's just like funny because it just of course evokes the stimulus of the great recession um, that actually has yeah, like a bit but, of a, we'll go ahead. No, but I was just going to say, but like, uh, you know, we joke about like redistributing the wealth because we'll like give each other money to like buy items or like buy somebody back. But it is a sort of like still a like <laughs> collective individualism, if you will, because it's still this kind of like competition. Yeah. Like a, um, I'm not going to say it's a, a game that relies on like communal, betterment or something like that because like your your individual squads redistribution is is weaponized against the other people you know or intended against them Um, exactly but also i mean the stimulus you bring up like the great recession and things modern warfare 2 actually had a a map pack back on that's how shooters made money off of their multiplayer games um called the stimulus package it was still paid it wasn't free or anything like the actual stimulus package barack obama is credited with but um it was just a map pack for their game that reminds me of the Dollar Theater in Knoxville, Tennessee. For many years after 
the Great Recession. They still had a deal on Tuesday called Stimulus Tuesdays, Mm -hmm. where it was like a discount popcorn and soda, you know, because everybody needs a little stimulus, a little soda stimulus. Mm -hmm. Uh, Get that little caffeine in you. I'm gamer gamer fuel. Yeah. I mentioned uh, when I was talking about PUBG Mobile and finally getting into China uh, through the company Tencent. Um, I mean, even looking up research for this podcast, like Tencent mm-hmm. is something that for years is a target, just like many as China becomes a much larger economic power um, as it's opened up to the world in the last couple of years. Um, companies like that become like targets for a lot of like anti-Chinese sentiments that are kind of like flatly anti-communist more so than critical of the business practices of, or maybe like government entanglement within the business or something. But I mean, even doing research for this, people talk about Tencent and Epic game store and all these things being actual spyware. Yeah. I mean, it's the same as like the TikTok stuff, you know, and, and now everybody talking about how TikTok might be banned in the U S by Mike Pompeo because it's Chinese yep. or, or whatever, which is just, well, it's totally con- ludicrous. Well, it's totally contradictory just because like kind of every piece of software is kind of spyware at this point. Yeah. But I mean, outside of that, not even software, but just like the device you're probably listening to this on, you know, is in in some way aggregating information mm-hmm. about you but also in looking at like games being actual spyware and games taking advantage of your machine i mean this whenever people talk about these type of companies being you know chinese massively profitable entertainment companies um they talk about it as like oh well they're promoting their message and also they're controlling your device with these things and so it's always through this kind of like anti-communist right vocabulary but also i mean you look at maybe the the pc gaming monolith in the united states being steam and valve and that company's one that is so kind of blank toward the public and how they regulate their own marketplace and in ways like denying that they can even regulate the marketplace but then they have games Mm -hmm. on there that literally mine bitcoin off of your your pc and things like that Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you know people will will talk about uh the nefarious agendas of Chinese developed uh, apps. But like, I mean, the U S military now has an official Twitch stream, which, you know, Twitch is an Amazon owned company. Um, I also saw uh, there was like a vice article about the U S military Twitch stream and that people were like bringing up U S war crimes and that they were getting blocked and that the like soldier who is playing whatever game was being played on the Twitch stream uh, was just being like, I'm better than you and like talking down the people who were getting blocked. Yeah. I mean, before the, the armies had an esports division for a little while, just as kind of a, you know, form of recruiting. And recently before the Twitch stream stuff started going around, people found they had a discord you could hop in and people were having competitions to see how fast they could speed run getting banned off of this discord by asking about war crimes. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of in the same kind of episode of like recent events around the army's esports. Yeah. Which branch did you serve in? It reminds me of, uh, you know the kind of political purposes of or p- potential political purposes of some of these multiplayer games like 
I, there was uh, a quote from, I cannot remember her name, but former Pete Booty Judge campaign manager who now works for Biden, who was saying, like, maybe we can call up Fortnite and have them design a map where it's like basically like the Travis Scott Fortnite concert, but with Joe Biden, giant Joe Biden towering over the Grand Canyon. Wearing a mask. And you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Promoting mask awareness. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, it's funny how, uh, I mean, obviously Bernie has faded and that moment has passed, but it's funny how months ago, back when Bernie Sanders was still a thing. Uh, it's funny how Joe Biden being in Fortnite is like the lamest thing imaginable. And if Bernie had been in Fortnite, it would have been pretty cool. But I honestly feel like Bernie maybe could have won if he had gone on Fortnite. Like that's really how he could have reached yeah. uh, a non-voting block. Where are we dropping boys? The polls. <laughs> and this, uh, the 2020 Pokemon go to the polls. But yeah, oh, gosh, the circle's closing. You got to get to the polls for sure. I think it's funny. I actually didn't realize the irony till right now, where people talk about like these apps that from from Chinese corporations like controlling your computer and things like that. But I mean, I guess what the capitalist version of that would be like the the home user being deployed to make someone else money through Bitcoin, mm-hmm. <laughs> or even um, Microsoft's like gaming cloud service called x cloud that they just keep kind of vaguely talking about that's based on their just general like web back-end server service like amazon web services and things like that their mm-hmm. azure cloud for their gaming version phil spencer the president of xbox was talking about one way that it could work and create like low latency for other players is that whenever your xbox is turned off uh it would be working essentially as a rest mode server for this cloud gaming service and maybe running the game on your console for someone else to get a video feed stream from and microsoft just invented torrenting well torrenting that they control it's literally like the walled garden of peer-to-peer like (laughs) gaming video streams but yeah totally and like he they since have like not talked about it again but he was like i'd be proud to know that some gamer was playing their game on my console <laughs> <And> <laughs> stuff like that putting my my uh, my console is being shanghaied and pressed into service yeah put my um, console on the front lines i'm glad that my video card's being eaten up right now by some dude across the street yeah do you think that the uh whatever constitutional amendment it is that says that like you soldiers can't be quartered in your home i think it's the third amendment think that applies or no, it's, do you think that i think it's the third the, amendment or is it the fifth? Do you think do you think that applies no, it's the third or fourth. Do you think that applies to uh soldiers playing games on your console? Or perhaps in the world of Chappie, uh hosting their consciousnesses on your data bank of PlayStation 4s? I don't know. I think so. I think I, I could mean, when you think about it, I think Bit I could is a battle royale game. Yeah, who gets to download first cow first, you know? The, wow. the real first cow is the hard drive that got a torrent of it. The real first cow is the person who comments first on the Pirate Bay upload. Damn, I wish I could have gone back and commented first on the first cow trailer on YouTube. 
I mean, I guess I could. Damn. There's probably no one in the A24 audience that's commenting first. Gonna get us in hot water. All the all the the film distribution snobs over here uh, gonna cancel us for torrenting Kelly Reinhardt movies. But honestly, you know what? It's a fucking pandemic, so live a little, leech a little. Just just download a movie. Just it's good for you. It's not scary. It's not bad. Those people don't make money anyways. Like, you know, that's not how it works. Kelly already made her money off of it, you know? Exactly. Like, festival sales. That's where they make their money. Otherwise, these movies are making shit for people. They're not putting money in anybody's pocket. I'll get off my soapbox. But also, just with free leech, baby, all summer long. Also, I mean, in terms of, you know, people... This is very like hyper specific for a timestamp of just people talking about torrenting this movie just because this is the discourse of the day or two. Um, right. But also like we're talking about a movie that was supposed to have a theatrical release and then pivoted to all digital. And if you're going to compare those like profit margins, I just feel like I don't know. Yeah. I just feel like this isn't really a productive conversation. Well, it's just ridiculous. I just think that. Yeah, exactly. Hold me back because piracy shaming is not acceptable. It's not cool in the hot box. Here we're we're friends we're friendly with pirates. Here it's talk like a pirate day yeah. all year long. Why is the Free rum leech gone? all year long? Why is the weed always gone? Go in sparrow mode. Yeah. I think the only battle royale that we haven't talked about that's really worth touching on so far, uh, to get back to this is Apex Legends. I mentioned earlier it's made by Respawn yeah. Entertainment, but it's weird because the game Respawn made before this was Titanfall 2, you know, this game that people on Twitter love to talk about that didn't really make a bunch of financial success when it initially came out. Yeah, people uh, always say it's like one of the best FPSs of its generation. Yeah, and Apex Legends is this game that takes place in the Titanfall universe or whatever, uh, which in a way just kind of feels a bit like an appeasement of just like oh you know we might make a titanfall 3 you never know but for now i mean titanfall is just you know free to play game that we're going to microtransact uh every player and that's going to be the main way we make money rather than selling full video games which i think is like a a thing that a lot of people critique it's like oh you gotta you know you get the game for free but then you have to you know you get microtransacted to hell yeah um you know it's all based on like buying this stuff and i mean this kind of stems off people saying oh well back in my day you you got the game and you got the whole game and you didn't have to pay for (laughs) dlc or anything like that this is actually a conversation me and a friend had in a ride share i think i talked about this on the podcast before but i was just talking about Fortnite and us going like we're a little bit out of the generation Mm -hmm. to understand all this it's a little bit weird to us but what was like that thing for our generation to the one a little bit older than us and our ride share driver interrupts the conversation to say well back in my day you got the game and you got the whole game instead of having to get dlc but it's also like subscription services have been a thing for a long time in gaming in various forms Mm -hmm. um and expansion packs and like all kinds of things and it just feels like one of these sort of falsities where it's like that this that it's every time there's some kind of new loot box or microtransaction or new expenditure point of 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 expenditure of money it feels like there's a moral panic but it's really like just a sort of reconfiguration 
yeah, it's a business structure question rather than like an art form yeah. question. But also when you look at like very early video games in the arcades, that's kind of like, I mean, coin operated machines in a way are one of the original forms of microtransaction in video games because you, yeah. you're just having to continually put quarters into it. I mean, people talk about like Pac-Man being something that actually eats quarters rather than pellets, you know? Fucking literally like the Nickelodeon is a, was a microtransaction. Every time you buy a ticket yeah. at a movie theater, that's a micro. When you rent first cow, that's a microtransaction. Yeah. And Fortnite, basically the battle royale genre, in a way, I think it's kind of just like music streaming or like or, or video streaming. It's it's sort of analogous to that, like this just sort of flow of content. And there is an exchange of money, and there is like sort of something that you kind of own, but it's mostly paying for access uh to a sort of library basically uh which is kind of what battle royale games are too it's like they're sort of databases of like skins and options and possibilities yeah i mean if you've ever been on craigslist and looked in the video game section you'll see a large part of it is actually dominated by people selling digital accounts that they've owned over the years whether it's a Fortnite account and they'll be like look at all these skins that i have in this you know database or people talking about their steam account things like that or people going like oh i have this ps4 that has all these digital games on it but you know not that many physical games and so i mean it is people like accumulating a database selling it this is also kind of what collection is in general but now kind of adapted to a digital media landscape or whatever yeah i mean the future of collecting is just i guess collecting hard drives basically collecting is always more about the the collecting of information than it is about the the objects you know Collecting is always more about the shelves than the <laughs> items when you think about it. It's the more case, about the warehouse. The lighting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Apex Legends, though, one more thing about it that is interesting is that uh, since it comes from the Titanfall games, I was thinking about what those games initially were. And you yeah. know, the second game people praise is having this great single player first person shooter campaign and, you know, being good at multiplayer, too but mainly being this great single player experience, which is funny because the first Titanfall actually had no single player experience. It was an all online game um, that was actually exclusive to Xbox, but it was all online and there would be these story components that played in between the multiplayer matches, but each match would be you flying in to fight this war, dropping down on the ground, fighting it, and then leaving. And based on your win or your loss, there would be this kind of you know, this like narrative frame that goes around it. This is also tried out in mm-hmm. games like Mag, Massive Action, excuse me, uh, Massive Action Game, which is like 256 players in the same thing. And you had these factions or or the, uh, I think like Bethesda published this game called Brink, which is like this like parkour shooter with like campaign elements <laughs> around the multiplayer things. But that's also, I think, an interesting way to look at like when we're talking about the single player and multiplayer drives and urges that kind of met in the battle royale genre a game that also merged single and multiplayer in a different way eventually just turned into a battle royale game damn that's what it all leads to that's the just the convergence of of single and multiplayer the convergence of forms Mm -hmm. right there's battle royale soon everything will be a battle royale Mm -hmm. i mean they're already is another form of like meta competition around battle royales being esports, but also Twitch streaming. Yeah. Where you know you pick your favorite athlete, yeah, your exactly. favorite celebrity, your favorite content producer, 
and we're gonna you know we're gonna get some views get some amazon twitch bits or whatever they call it get some subscribers yeah i mean i was even sort of thinking as a new kind of for a new development in the battle royale today i saw on twitter that the tour de france this year is happening happening virtually and is basically an mmo where they have all of the uh players basically the you know the cyclists in uh, isolated on stationary bikes that are sort of uh simulated to uh reflect the conditions of the terrain and you know of the route but then they have this like digital recreation of it that you have like digital uh, avatars of all the cyclists and you have a simulated crowd noise and like simulated like horns honking from the support cars and everything and it's just like utterly uncanny but then they also are like blowing wind from like a box fan on the cyclists and stuff to like simulate the airflow and it's just very janky and weird yeah um and and just it's it's very strange to watch but it really it's essentially the same kind of thing because it's like you have this just sort of mass of competitors and they're not it's not a violent battle royale, but it is kind of a battle royale because it's just like, again, a, a certain allotment, a, a, an amount of players, and they're all trying to get to this goal and they're all trying to compete with each other and best each other. Um, and it's, so it's, it has that kind of individualist competitive edge mm-hmm. that the battle royale has. Um, but also there's like that sort of the, the terrain is pitted against you in that same way and um, is is weaponized against you. Uh, the You know, the landscape is is part of it, too. Yeah. I mean, it's always the funniest thing to whenever people talk about battle royale games. I mean, so much of the focus is what's happening on the screen. But if you look at the actual competitors and you gather all the competitors in this digital competition together, it's just a lot of people sitting on a couch at the same time with headphones on yeah. talking to their teammates and things like that. Uh, but also, I mean, it's hard not to hear that and think about just general ways that the, you know, the coronavirus pandemic has changed competition. Um, whereas mm-hmm. esports are always seen as like a sideshow, obviously very profitable, but a sideshow to the normal ESPN audience. Whenever ESPN would start trying to broadcast these tournaments because they're legitimate multi-million dollar competitions, you know, people would see like Street Fighter or dota or something like that on espn and think it was weird but now that people i mean just now they're starting to actually start training and get ready for another athletic season but seeing like those sports adapt to covid where you just had athletes in a multiplayer lobby playing like the playstation mlb the show official mlb Mm -hmm. game uh and it's the athletes playing as themselves in a video game version of that competition but the thing is that it's weird whenever you see things like that on TV because these people are good at playing baseball, but casual and semi-competitive at playing with a controller and playing the video game of baseball. It's the same thing as like uh, real musicians playing Guitar Hero. Yeah, totally. <laughs> One thing also that came up that isn't modern as much, but is interesting to think about is uh, I recently found out about this 1970 fight that Muhammad Ali did with rock marciano called the super fight which was this series of uh computer simulated fights on a 1970 kind of you know you enter a formula and all these statistics into a thing and it gives you an output uh this radio producer was like taking kind of that hypothetical of you know if this 
you know, this boxer and this boxer could fight, even though they're both retired and we're in different times and in different circumstances completely, who would win, you know, the hypothetical kind of greatest argument. And so he'd enter all these formulas and intervals and things into a computer and the computer would decide who would win. And they ended up making a film version of one of these fights. Initially, they were all just like radio broadcasts and they would essentially do like a teleplay, like the War of the Worlds, Orson Welles teleplay. Um, mm-hmm. and radio play of them basically doing a live cast of these fights, but it was all just like reading off computer plays of this round, the person does this. This round, the person does this. Muhammad Ali lost one of the ones on the radio and got so mad he was going to sue for defamation. This radio producer and the radio producer settled and gave him money and said, I'll settle if you do a film version of one of these fights. And so the way they did this was that they filmed over 70 rounds of different variations of sparring between the retired boxer rock marciano and the politically exiled one muhammad ali while he was avoiding the vietnam war draft and then they took these like 70 rounds of different variations including different wins and losses for each of the the fighters and after they finished shooting the computer computed the output of this hypothetical fight then they cut together the film based on the computer's version of what the fight was which is interesting to me to just think about you know real physical competition that's thought of as authentic Mm -hmm. um versus one that's mediated by a computer and the ways that you know that computer mediation creates new forms of skill or reveals new forms of skill more accurately damn yeah the battle royale is just algorithmic boxing totally totally that is really i think that's super on point though about like the new technology reveals new skills like it doesn't it doesn't necessarily even sometimes like directly create new skills but it just sort of like leads to these new just it just happens to create these new forms of competition and like new forms of of ability and and um there i don't know anything that exists there will always be somebody who is like good at it you know what i mean yeah totally a game needs players <laughs> it's weird though uh with like broadcasting and esports and things like that and kind of having like the personality to go along with the play mm-hmm. um obviously i mean people have talked about you know personality in sports being a kind of celebrity a kind of stardom where you have your favorite you know basketball being this sport where uh you know the visual appearance of the player is not as obscured so it's one where you have much more show of personality whereas football you have all this padding and all these things because the type of game it is and you still have these celebrations and dances and things but um you don't have as much of a connection between audience and player first of all because the amount of players and how zoomed out you have to be to watch but also because there's no you know the facial expression you know the direct Mm -hmm. confrontation that's allowed and things like that i mean all this gets kind of gets revealed um, and the way people talk about wrestling and, and, you know, the appearance, the attitude, the, yeah, yeah. uh, the essence and things like that, that are exposed and, and the way those are set up and broadcasted. But also, I mean, with esports broadcasting and just game streaming in general, a lot of people end up watching those for, I mean, obviously you can watch it and not have the camera pointed at the player. You don't even see what they look like. It's just them playing the game with no mic no video, no anything. And some people watch that because they, you know, they like watching the game being played. Um, But a lot of the people that are most popular are people that do have that personality show in their streams with their faces um, and things like that. And they make entire kind of brands around this um, in a way that 
creates a kind of like authored play is what I end up like calling it in my head the most, but just kind of creating this experience that is made what it is because the person who's doing it, but you know, the subject of it or the thing it's done through is a video game that, I mean, you have choices in a video game and things like that, but it's this thing that ultimately is like dictated and pre-written and scripted. I guess one thing I was thinking about when you brought up sports was how like, you know, football players uh, are literally the amount that they can emote is literally regulated. You know, they'll be penalized for excessive celebration Mm -hmm. or, Um, or kneeling during a national anthem. Yeah, exactly. You know, like various forms of, of emoting, not just like celebratory, but, uh, uh, acts of, uh, resistance as well. Um, whereas I don't know, esports. I think that it's like the personality is, is, put more up front in that like wrestling way yeah both literally like in the text of of a game like Fortnite, um where so much of it is like in your ability to kill someone and then gloat over their body um like just today we were playing earlier and like we start we kept spectating like after somebody killed us and like the dance move that he hit after we die after like both of us died i think like we were both killed around the same time and like he just hit this dance move and it was like really funny um yeah but i don't know just like that is in the text but also like the personality of actual players like ninja or whoever you want to talk about um is is kind of important too We'd be remiss not to be talking about this now and mention like a lot of the acts of resistance around Twitch itself happening recently where people have literally been blacking out watching Twitch. They don't stream at all. They don't watch because um, of Twitch's, as we talked about earlier, kind of laissez-faire approach to regulating their own platform that they have absolute control over and that people make live, you know, lifestyles and livings off of. Um, and recently they have started like banning people from their platform for sexual misconduct allegations, you know, using their platform and like soliciting like nudes for minors and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. like Dr. Disrespect is the biggest example of when you talk about maybe a personality streamer, but also as someone who just got banned off the platform. But that guy's also someone who's like gotten in trouble years ago for like going to E3 and doing a live Twitch stream from his phone in the bathroom on the show floor. And just people mm. non-consensually oh being God. broadcasted on Twitch as they go to the bathroom and stuff like that um, for his character, his bit, you know, so that breaking out into reality yeah. in a couple different ways. Yeah, I mean, there is that, like, because it's a new social realm, that, like, capacity for abuse and bullying and um, misconduct, you know, that's just a new arena for that, basically. Um, but there's also the way in, in, in like something like Fortnite where, where streaming, it just allows like a new generation to just like hang out and vibe in like a new way. Like, I don't think I've talked about this on the, the podcast before, but I had this really strange experience, um, where I was like taking a little bit of mushrooms and I ended up, I threw a strange series of events. Psilocybin and Fortnite watching uh the twitch stream of this like 20 year old guy whose username was lil cocksucker and he was just this dude who was just like in his bedroom 
getting fucked up, streaming, doing yo-yo tricks. He had multiple cameras filming himself for no reason, just at like random angles. Was he like switching scenes, like going from one setup to another setup? No, he was like, he just had cameras set up and was like totally unaware of like perspective or where he was standing or anything like he was not using them to good effect he this man did not have an eye i noticed like 20 minutes in he had shoved his mattress just like up against the wall um and his gotta make his room for activities right there yeah his his living space looked kind of despairing and then he had this like really nice ass like expensive hanging podcast mic (laughs) and like after like 10 minutes he put a like deep voice effect like pitch shift effect on it so he started talking like barry white or like little ugly man or something and he this dude was just like talking about yo-yo tricks, talking about flirting with girls on social platforms and like, and he was talking about this weird message exchange he was having with this girl where he just was like, what is it like to like have people care about what you say on the internet? And it was like weird, but also really sad. Like this guy felt like nobody cared what he had to say on the internet. So I was just watching his Twitch stream and I was like, dude, I care what you have to say. And I started interacting with him. Then he hit this pitch shift and he started talking about how he was about to start work tomorrow and i was like what's your job and he was like uh i'm a covid tracer and i was just like oh my god like this dude's just getting fucked up and he's about to go be a covid tracer on the next morning and he's going to be hung over from his twitch stream but he was also talking about how he used to be a like security guard at like uh like century 21 or some like just like clothing chain store or something. And he would like let people shoplift. And I was like, this dude is all right. Anyways, this dude was just streaming himself getting fucked up. And I was like, you know, if I was 20 right now, it's quite possible that I could be streaming myself just like getting fucked up just for hijinks, just for shits and giggles. And it's kind of the same deal with Fortnite where it's just a new social platform with all the good and bad that entails. Mm-hmm. a new cinema if you will actually one thing i was about to tie it back to to the big cinema we're talking about authored play and things like this um kind of leaving your stamp on the work of many other people um and the way people recognize it and things uh one thing i heard on i think it was gita jackson said it mm-hmm. on or in some work she did for vice but talking essentially about um or reframe she reframed like new hollywood in this way that i hadn't thought about before um where you had before this a lot of like golden age hollywood stories of like people going to hollywood and becoming very successful kind of this like self affirming and like self uh confirming uh kind of mythology and then in the new hollywood period you had a lot of directors who actually did act that out in real life and then became very successful and became these kind of like characters within the Hollywood system in a way um, mm-hmm. that directors already were, but in a way that was kind of publicly recognized, like Peter Bogdanovich yeah. being someone who's talked about as like, oh, he's a guy who was a movie fan. And then he started making them, you know, a success right. story for movie like a people tabloid. everywhere. 
and then being also kind of a tabloid star too. You know, it's like John Ford was like, I'm not an artist and, you know, would have never probably been in, in the tabloids in the way that Peter Bogdanovich was, or like, you know, that, you know, somebody like Coppola was known for like being arrogant and bold and like having this brash personality and just kind of doing what he wanted. Yeah. It really becomes about the personalities of directors in a new way. Yeah. And I mean, that kind of falls in what we're talking about with like Twitch streams and things like that being like this new way of kind of creating a character to guide through the video game is, you know, the character of the person playing it, Um, which I guess that that is sometimes what it always is, is, you know, your own experience of you playing a video game, but then, you know, watching someone else play it and what they do that makes the experience different. And I mean, when people talk about the legality of Twitch or of uh, Let's Plays and Twitch streams, um, that's kind of become like a, a copyright thing since people make money off this. Like Nintendo for a long time was notorious about copyright striking all their videos and things like that. Um, but whenever people talk about, you know, is it, you know, for anything remixed or anything that's sampled is, you know, talk about transformation. Is it transformative? Is it different from yeah. the original work? Does it, you know, make a meaning that is different than the work by itself? Um, and that's something that obviously like Twitch streams and let's players and things like that. It, it's, you know, a, a way of remaking and reworking something yeah totally i mean there's like i mean this that's there's that transformative element uh kind of evident in how you know twitch streaming is like able to be a platform for djs and like you know i use it to live stream dj mixes and stuff and um and also i mean it does have this kind of like open potential like you know we were talking about open possibilities earlier in like multiplayer gaming and how you have that kind of capacity for unexpected moments but it's the same thing a little bit in twitch streaming too where like you have a young dude getting fucked up in his room you have people doing strange like creative you know projects or whatever like i don't know one example what people are doing but just the the quarantine stuff people have been doing yeah one example of that is uh you know old like games journalist turned hollywood screenwriter and author gary witta who did like book of eli rogue one um has written some books too now has like an animal crossing talk show that he twitch streams called like animal talking he gets like his hollywood connections to bring in like danny trejo and other celebrities onto his talk show i think elijah wood may have been on there at one point but you know that's one example of people like taking a game and creating like a performed like social session on it that normally would be between two people there's also been this series of like vaporwave remixes of movies that i've seen streamed on twitch like there was like a racer wave like vaporwave remix of speed racer and then they did one of heat and then they just on the fourth of july did one of independence day called like id4 dot mp4 um you know that are just like glitch remixes of (laughs) these uh hollywood movies um so again you kind of have the transformative element at play there um and just like a lot of different potential uses for this medium and beyond just like the gaming yeah well i mean you know use like twitch initially started as this thing called justin tv and it was just live stream video on the internet of anything but then of course i mean that's mm-hmm. it it i mean in the same way that like youtube wasn't as profitable 
as just like people sharing videos. Obviously, people made livings and stuff off of it, but the way that YouTube left its mark and a lot of digital industries and the way that Twitch does now is through video game broadcast and video game, you know, kind of repackaging and video game content in general. Um, yeah. But I mean, since Justin TV, Twitch went to just video games and now they have since opened back up to kind of anything and everything except for if women don't follow their their clothing guidelines just because oh god yeah it's a whole fucking thing dude you all you also some of the censorship with words i've noticed like i think you can't i've noticed that sometimes they censor like gay at a certain point it's i think just like a war of a war against just like the gaming community and you're just like anyone saying the word gay at all has a probability of probably leaning a certain way yeah it's true it's true i guess um i'm not defending them saying you can't say the word gay but i mean as with like regulating like how women present their bodies and stuff like that it's it's something where it's just the way they became profitable was was by you know coaxing in gamer culture and then yeah. And then you have like popular gamer culture that you have to regulate, um, which is bizarre because I mean, people talk about Justin TV as the start of Twitch and it's, you know, this place where live streaming kind of started, but actually the place where Twitch streaming really came from was, you know, camming on the internet and, you know, yeah. like live, like porn shows and, and porn performers getting in front of a webcam and soliciting money from people in the mm-hmm. same way that Twitch does now and has kind of like made into another way of making a living that's seen as legitimate damn just another kind of personality performance mm-hmm. the effect of labor as we talked about last time but yeah oh yeah that's one of those big concepts yep good old concept effective labor <laughs> yeah i think that's it for the podcast we've been going for a while i think so yeah. i think we're good i think we've said what we what we came here to say yeah we the island is uh you know we're off the island <laughs> we talked about damon lindelof Any last la- time i'm just thinking about getting off the island and saying we have to go back is what we did we have this to time. go back yeah fantasy we have to remake fantasy island i'm waiting still on, need to watch that on the lost reboot honestly oh i bet it'll happen one of these days hurley 2.0 weezer will record another album in tribute to him i still have not watched all of lost no more they're found Mm -hmm. that's what we need there's probably going to be a reunion some point that'll be sad but yeah Um, so any final battle royale thoughts no i mean i guess we've talked about it for at this point like over three hours (laughs) truly yeah um yeah i guess that is uh that's really it victory royale we we got the dub we brought it home brought it home brought in a victory but you know i'm just quickly logging in to see if we have any correspondence this is how it always happens we both forget you know i'm checking the voicemails too consider it you know a w you know but you can't make a w without two l's right yeah it's like like they say in cars um you gotta go left to go right sometimes Mm -hmm. and no we do not have any correspondence from our listeners but you can contact us if you want to hotbox the cinema gmail.com 
You can also leave us a voicemail at the Hotbox Hotline, 615-592-1003. That's the college radio DJ and me kicking in, just repeating things so you can hear it again. Mm -hmm. Write it down on a post-it note. I love it because, you know, know, whenever someone hears something they need to write down, the first time they hear it is them finding the thing to write it down with. Exactly. I let you get your utensil and hopefully you inscribed that number on your palm yeah. the second time I said it. Um, but we hope we, we always hope to hear from people, you know, we'd love to get your thoughts. Uh, we'll be working on a, a new episode soon. I don't know. We're not going to say what that is yet. Cause you know, with these no, things we, that always can't disclose free that. flowing. Yeah. Freewheeling. You never know. It's a stream of consciousness. You know, you can't direct a stream. You can't, but you can't tell a river where it flows. And you shouldn't. You can't tell a, a flower where it flows. Then the game flower. And then the game flow. Damn, we're really tying it all together. I guess that's it. Yeah, I think. Until then, uh, keep on token.
me brown and sweet, just like the chocolate. Yo, Wiley. Them ones don't like me. Cause they're done pussy pretty with the upper body. Shut down in the city with me bad girl pussy. <laughs> Every man want piece of me. The back of them, my papa, them my bun weed. Man want wine behind me, me off a move, I'm dusty. Uh-huh. I'm looking for a brother who got hella pounds. Oh, seven, nine, baby, I'm a hammer, did you shop? Bossy, bossy. Godfather, man a OG. Man a half humble, man a bossy. Bring a rag a rhythm like it's so free. Bossy, house on the post G. My money so long it doesn't know me. It's looking at my kids like I'm bossy. Hey yo, Sean. Hey, so when me spit it on the rhythm, maybe gotta get with it. Spit it on the rhythm, maybe gotta get. When me chop it on the rhythm, maybe gotta get with it. Wind up your body and spin it. Girl, when you bubble that trouble, why you give me this something now? Turn it around and bring it. You're pressing it back on and on. Never push that button, my girl. Don't bother going timid. Once you broke out, broke out and fling it. Once your body shaking up to the limit. Once you wild out to wild it to S to the base of London and mid and edges. Is it? I came to rap, you know, do my thing. Sabi put me on the gram in a remix thing. Pull Chai Wiley with the Pacino flow. Godfather part two, call me De Niro. I came to win battle me, that's a sin. Disrespect, man, get a slap on the chin. Man a king, me a top ball, Larry. Man a big DJ, Hawks, Megan and Harry. Bowsy, man a bossy. I make a gamble like a toasty. I've been this way someday. And I write for myself, no ghosting. Bossy, bossy. Godfather, man a OG. Man a half humble, man a bossy. I rag a rhythm like it's so free. Bossy, house on the post G. My money so long it doesn't know me. It's looking at my kids like I'm bossy. I fly around the world cause I'm bossy. Bossy, bossy. Godfather, man a OG. Man a half humble, man a bossy. Thing I rag a rhythm like it's so free. Bossy, house on the coast G. My money so long it doesn't know me. It's looking at my kids like I'm bossy. I fly around the world cause I'm bossy. <laughs> <laughs> 